If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Live Wild Live podcast. We got plenty of people logged in here, called in. I'm going to get to questions shortly. I'm really excited. As we step into the new year, we've got a lot of great tips and tactics planned. And one of my favorite episodes every month is doing these live call-in Q&As. And for this one, I always like to do a little bit of a giveaway. We've got an awesome prize package. As we kind of move into this new year, I think one of the things that's on a lot of hunters' minds is, one, planning and preparing for the hunt, and then two, how do I get physically ready for the hunt? So as a prize package for that, we've got one lucky caller is going to get a Mountain Tough membership. We've also got a prize pack of Hydrate and Recover from Wilderness Athlete, and then a Yeti Yonder bottle to mix it all up. So we're going to jump into the phone lines here. If this is your first time calling or, or getting through, just when I answer, feel free to give me your name. It doesn't have to be your full name, first name, last name, whatever you prefer, and then where you're calling from, and then we'll jump into your hunting questions. So we've got our first question here. looks like it's from Brad. Let's see what he's got to say. This is Brad? Hey, Remy. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, Brad? Welcome to the podcast. Good, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. I hope you had a great holiday. I did. It was, uh, a, it was awesome. How about you guys? Good, man. Have any uh, game cooked up for the family? Yeah, we, uh, we've, well, I've been throwing down with a lot of Wellingtons lately, and I'm going to do another one tomorrow. So, <laughs> And then I think I'm out of big cuts for the rest of the year, so then it's time to, <laughs> to get back in for the season. I'm going to have to wait till the next holiday before I got any big uh, backstrap cuts left, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. All right, with uh, application season coming up and all the points, preference points and all that crap changing here soon, or if not, they've already changed. Um, if you were king for a day, how would you do the preference point system? If I was king for a day, uh, I would just give myself all the tags and then I could allocate it to people that I, that call into this podcast. Outside of that, um, you know, I, here's, the, here's the trouble, right? Um, I've been playing the points game for just as long as anyone. And I was just talking to my I, a buddy of mine and I went to lunch, I think yesterday. And we were talking and um, he ended up, he drew a Arizona strip tag last year and uh, i've got another buddy that drew an arizona strip tag and he my friend drew it like with four points you know and there's people sitting on almost close to or in that mid-range of like 15 20 points and I, in so many states i've got 
20 plus points for animals. And I was, I was talking to him and I said, you know, in these states where I have a lot of points, I've actually never drawn a tag. That sounds really bad, but it's the truth. You know, I've been playing the game for a long time. And of course there are some hunts where I go, okay, I only want the top hunt and whatever. But in, in those states where I've got 22, 23 points, I actually haven't drawn any tags. And all the tags that I've drawn have been in states where it's a random draw. So I don't know if maybe I just find better luck that way. I don't know the solution because like guys that have been, you know, for me every year doing this, I started applying in states when I was 16 years old. I got a second job to make money so I could apply for tags, right? I've invested a lot of time. I've invested a lot of money. I've invested a lot of like uh, sacrifices through the years with the hopes of, you know, getting on top and drawing a tag some, some way down the road. So if we just get rid of it, right, what that kind of penalizes the people that have been playing the game for a very long time. But it also, man, there's, it's hard to even say if the system works, right? Are you even rewarded? Is it just like kind of a, a fruitless system? So I don't, I don't know the solution. I, I don't know. I wish somebody had a good option. I personally think that preference points should all be kind of converted to bonus points and do like uh, Nevada does, Montana does, where your points are squared, so you have an exponential chance over the next guy, but yet anyone has a chance in any given year. Because if a guy's just starting out, like I, I actually stopped applying for Wyoming sheep, moose, goat, because I realized like it's just uh, it's not actually possible. And the money that I'd spent in the past to apply for those tags was is substantial enough to say like, man, that was a waste of time, money, resources, energy, the whole deal. But I like the bonus point system, and I like rewarding people that have been playing it for a long time, but also giving the, a guy that's just starting out a, a chance, right? So I think that the best system out there over preference points is going to be a bonus point system. It re, it's going to reward people that have been doing it for a long time, but also makes it fair where anybody can actually draw in any year. So I, I think that that's kind of my, I think that that's the ideal situation uh, for the most part. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I was a Wyoming resident and I drew a Wyoming sheep tag with one point. So I'm going to probably make a lot of people mad, but um, to me that system works and I hopefully didn't ruin all my luck with just that one tag. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a weird world that, is out there for the point system and stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's there's one um, particular tag that I, I, I had applied for on a preference point system. Um, you know, one year I, I somehow, I either me I messed up the application and I was behind one year. So I'm now out of the max point pool. And it's like, I'll never in my lifetime draw it because I missed one year, right? For the most part, unless I'm like 98 years old. And I just kind of kept applying, hoping that maybe the system would change at some point. So... I think that by having that option of a bonus point system where people with more points just have a better chance, but everybody has an opportunity to draw is going to be the way it goes in the future because the, the point creep is absolutely out of control. And the more people that keep applying, it just, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's when you really sit down and look at it, those places are impossible to get tags in, in many ways. Now there are certain units that you could, but I think that, yeah, me, I, that's just my, just my option or my philosophy is like making it where you're rewarded for more years, but you can have a chance anytime that you apply. And I think that that's a good system. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks for me. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck on the upcoming year. Yeah. Thanks. You too. Let me know uh, if you draw another sheep tag on one point. <laughs> I'm sure a yeah. lot of people will hate you Got for it. that, but you know, congratulations. <laughs>
Yeah, thrown in for the random draw now. So perfect. Yeah, best of luck to you. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. All right, we're gonna jump into our next caller. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, Remy? Yeah, pretty good. Who am I talking to? This is uh, Tyler out in uh, California, Northern California. Oh, right on. Nice to talk with you, Tyler. So what's your question? Yeah, so um, back in, in my backyard here in Northern California, um, we've got some, some blacktail zones here that are really easy to get a tag, um, specifically D zones. <clears throat> and uh, I think I've, I've heard you talk about on your podcast about D zone before and just wanted to know... Um, a few tips and tactics that I could use to help me become more successful in that zone. I know uh, California gives out a ton of deer tags in some of these zones, and it's uh, not always the easiest hunting. So if you could maybe uh, touch base on some, like, deer behavior. Yeah. Um, time of year, I think uh, September, early September, the when archery opens, but um, that kind of stuff in the, in the D zone over here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... It, and this will probably make some people mad and some people will be like, what? But honestly, I, I feel like California is the last best over-the-counter hunt around because it's one of the only over-the-counter hunts you can kind of get into again still. I generally do the AO tags in California where I can hunt multiple units on an archery tag. And just because it, it's, I don't know, I, I find that that's just preferable to my hunting style although i've hunted a lot of the units in california on that tag everything from a zone b zone a lot of the d zones as well so i think you know, it is very difficult hunting but it's not there are a lot of tags as well and in my experience you can still get away from a lot of hunters i think that some of that is the fear of it when you you see so many hunters and you see so many hunters on the roads and you just have to find those pockets that are away from the road enough where you've got to work a little bit to get into it and then you've got kind of that hunting where you can where you can just get out and hunt and not run into anyone i've hunted multiple different units and not seen other hunters while actually out hunting it's funny sometimes I, I feel like you run into more people just recreating than hunting opening weekends or whatever are always pretty crowded but uh, outside of that like in the weekdays getting away getting off the roads that's that's been really good for me i think now i will say the hunting can be difficult and i think the primary reason that it is difficult isn't because there's a lack of deer there are actually a lot of deer it's just it's, it's heavily covered area and anytime you're hunting an area that's heavily covered it can be difficult. Now, there are a lot of the areas that are maybe deer migrate out. They can be low density certain times of year. So I try to find those locations that just suit my style of hunting. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I like two kinds of hunting. I like spotting and I also like still hunting. And I think that having those two techniques in your pocket is perfect for California deer hunting, especially when it comes to like those blacktail mule deer crosses and, and things like that. Because blacktail... They generally hold in smaller areas um, if they aren't migratory. But once you kind of figure out the, the patterns and the routes and the, maybe the ridges and the things that they like to travel, you can use that later on throughout the season. So specifically, I, you know, a little bit of scouting or just time in the field over the years of where you found deer, kind of going back to those areas. Now, one thing that I found in California to be very true is because there there are big migratory deer herds in California, 
um, finding kind of that elevation band where once I start finding deer, really pinpointing, okay, I, I look at a few things and I'll just like drop a pin where you start seeing deer. Then I kind of, and I guess people will be like, well, the problem is finding deer originally, right? But once you are out there and you start figuring out where the deer are, you can start to figure out where more deer are because I, I find that they kind of hold a certain elevation band a lot of times and it's different every year. It's not the same. So once I start, I so I kind of plan my hunt based on starting at that top third in elevation and the, of the mountain of whatever that hill is. And then, and then like, marking where I'm finding deer and then I'll just even pull out my go hunt maps and I'll, I'll click that elevation manual highlight everything that's that certain elevation maybe it's between 4,500 and 5,500 feet is where I'm really seeing the deer in a particular season and then I'm finding areas that kind of mimic that particular habitat in other places and then start checking those and that that's how I find deer or find more animals in areas with lower density because once you've found one deer you kind of go why is this deer here and then extrapolate that out to other places that match that and that's a really good tactic whether it's California Idaho Montana like anywhere where you're hunting and the densities of deer are low and they're hard to find if you find one you can find more generally and it's finding that first one that can be the struggle and moving around, getting away from people, uh, covering a lot of country, and mixing up the tactics between still hunting and glassing can be that route to success. Yeah, that is uh, great advice there, Remy. Thank you. And uh, one thing I uh, struggled with this year is I was I was able to get into the does this year, but uh, unfortunately wasn't able to find any bucks. So I guess my next question is like, should I be looking in different areas or different elevation bands where the where the bucks might be, or um, any other advice on that topic? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, definitely. Because of the season timing, like they plan those anytime there's a lot of tags available for a certain hunt, it's because the season is when the bucks are by themselves and hardest to find. If you're finding does, I call that a nursery. And you almost have to disregard that in many times. Not Not every time of the year, but when it's like that end of September, October time frame, Generally, the bucks are going to be off by themselves. So you're looking for a single animal. They can actually just be harder to find. Sometimes you'll see the does because they'll be out longer. They'll be in groups. Whereas the buck might be more secluded and, and often maybe just a different elevation. If you're seeing lots of does down low, maybe check higher up. If you're seeing lots of does up, like this year, I was on a hunt where the does were all up high. I had seen every year I'd ever hunted this area, there was bucks in here and it was just all does. I did the exact opposite of what the does were doing. I went low and started turning up buck after buck after buck. So sometimes it's just a matter of like, it's not that they don't want to be with the does. It's just that they're doing a different thing. You know, you're, you're hunting bucks, not does. Now, if it's during the rut, you're hunting deer, you find does, you find bucks. Mm-hmm. And, and during the like early season, archery season, if it's in that August timeframe when bucks might be more bachelored up, maybe you'll see does in similar overlapping habitat. But for the most part, those time frames where you aren't seeing the bucks, you're kind of got to concentrate on looking for one animal. So you got to think it's going to be harder to spot and maybe just kind of getting away from the areas where you're seeing does and, and looking for something different. Now, 
there is that occasion where you're going to find an immature deer in those doe pockets. And if you're like, I'm just looking to harvest something, you, you'll probably find young bucks with those does. So if you, if you do find does, you can like, well, I can keep checking these doe pockets and sooner or later I might find a small fork and horn or young two-year-old deer. But if you're looking for a mature buck, you're going to want to get away from that and really hone in on what are the bucks doing right now, if that helps. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Remy. And, uh, yeah, this year was actually my first year getting that AO tag in California and, and that helped, uh, kind of branch away from some other areas. So I'll definitely be doing that again next year. Um, but yeah, awesome. thank you. Really, really good advice. Appreciate it, Remy. And, uh, have a happy new year and happy hunting. Yeah. Happy <clears throat> new year to you and, and best of luck. Keep me posted. All right. Thanks, Remy. I will say this as, uh, an added thing. I generally, you know, when I'm talking about hunting different places, um, I try to kind of leave the states out, right? But California is actually one of those states I don't mind. Um, I think that you know, a lot of people hunt it, right? There's already a lot of residents and in, in hunting pressure and everyone's like, oh, everyone from California is going somewhere else. But if more people hunted California and realized that it's actually a pretty good hunting opportunity, I think that it's one of the places that if you've hunted there, we could band together as hunters and kind of protect that opportunity because it's it's always the first state where hunting is challenged and kind of whatever happens in California goes other places. So as hunters, it's always good to be on the lookout of what's happening in California. What are they trying to shut down? How are they trying to limit hunting and seasons? And the more that people are familiar with the way they do their hunts, the way the opportunity available, maybe they're looking forward to that hunt, then they're more apt to jumping on and signing a petition to doing some things. There's a, a site out there called Howl, and that's that's a really good way to kind of gauge what's going on around the country, but also specifically for things that happen in California, bear hunting or archery, just random things that, that pop up. I think that the more people that understand the hunting in California and have some kind of vested interest are going to be able to protect hunting for the rest of the country as well, because I see some of the rules migrate out of California, but if we can stop it there, you can probably stop it a lot of other places. That's just my little rant, my little talk, because as hunters, I think that we can and do a lot of good by sticking together. All right, we're going to jump onto this next call here. Welcome to the Live Wild podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, this is Brent. Brent, how's it going, man? Good, good. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. What's your uh, hunting question? Well, two years ago, I, I killed a bull in the archery season, and I had a friend come up out of town to help me pack it out. And then um, every, the last two years, I didn't know it, but I found out this year through his wife that he's been hunting in there, and I haven't seen an elk since. So uh, I was just kind of wondering what your take on that would be and how to how to handle it because he, he's fairly new to the hunting game he maybe doesn't know all the like the unwritten rules and all that stuff so that's kind of been bothering me for the last couple of years yeah man that's a great question and you know it's it's one of the things that plagues me the most right is the fact of like you've spent a lot of time you found this spot you're you bring someone hunting or you help someone out and then they kind of abuse that one spot because they don't know any better or sometimes they do know any better um i i had i took a guy out this year it was like brand new to hunting and it was like you know showing him i essentially took him to my best spot because i wanted him to find success right and then it's like yeah and he's like oh cool i can't wait to come back here and he's like i've got all these friends that i want and i was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. pump the brakes dude like you don't he just didn't understand like 
he didn't understand kind of those unwritten rules, right? And yeah, I think that like uh, I mean to be a hundred percent honest, a lot of the reason that I started self solo hunting is like because I just. I put in a lot of time in the off season. I didn't want to burn spots because I just got sick of showing up to places and seeing people that I knew or friends of friends of friends. Um, I'm very secretive about my spots in many ways. I yeah, definitely show videos and other things, but I try to keep many of the landmarks out. I even throw in just so people know, like if you see a landmark in a video and you're like, Oh, that's where he's hunting. That is not where I'm hunting. I put some random landmarks in there just to throw people off the scent. But, um, you know, for guys that don't know, I think that it's good to just be like, Hey, you know, like this particular spot is a spot that I hunt a lot or enjoy hunting. You know, there is kind of this, this unwritten rule of you don't want to go into, like, I personally would never go into a spot, or if I did want to go in, I would ask or something, you know. But, you know, maybe even just saying, like, hey, let's find some other spots. I can help you find a spot. Or maybe we can find a spot that we just, I, I think that it's not a bad idea to kind of reach out and just talk to him because, you know, it's a person that you're probably never going to want to have you help pack out again and maybe that was nice to have that help that is one of the things when i think about there's a lot of hunts that i've done where i've been successful and the pack out sucked and i did it by myself because i didn't want to bring anyone in there not that i don't trust my friends but there's just some things that you're like i just don't want anyone coming into the spot and i'm just gonna have to do it myself <laughs> unfortunately but I, yeah you know but also i think that this is the kind of the spot thing between hunters is the barrier to entry for most people, right? Because when you're getting into hunting, you don't know where to go. And it's not that where you take them, like I'll take people and maybe it's not even the, the best place to go. It's just where I go, right? And it's good because nobody else is really going there and it's not the only place to hunt. And I think that people getting into it maybe don't know that. And so when I do take people, I, I say, you know, like, here's the way that, um, you know, like this is a spot, but I can help you find other places to go that is not here. And it's not that they're bad. It's just that I don't, maybe you want to drive an extra, maybe you live on the other side of town. It's just easier for you to go there or whatever, you know, there's, there's ways to work around it. Like a lot of people listen to this podcast and want to get into hunting. And one of the things that I always suggest is find somebody that hunts and offer to have them come out with you somewhere that you take them. And you're like, I don't even know where to go. And it's like, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're going to learn certain things, but it's showing that you're, you have this willingness to learn things on your own and, and kind of that give take. So I think that it never hurts to talk to your buddies. And when I'm talking with friends, right, I'm kind of the type of person, like I have found a lot of spots that people maybe aren't friends or acquaintances that I know. And I'm like, if you start to talk about a spot to me, I, I just kind of shut you down. Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to hear anything because if I end up in the same place that is your spot, I don't want to, I don't want to block myself out of access for something like you can't claim the whole mountain. Right. But I think that there's a way to go about it with friends and, and people, especially that don't know that is both helping them out and also not burning places that you really enjoy hunting or have been hunting for years, if that makes sense. You bet, you bet, yep. And I did that. I kind of redirected them to a few different spots that, you know, weren't that spot. And then I, mean, I guess I'm just going to have to have a talk with them to let them know that it's not cool, bud. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, or maybe it's something like, hey, if you want to go in there, like, let's go in there and, and hunt it together, <laughs> as opposed to, like, yeah, that, just blowing it up every cool. day. <laughs> You know, like you just don't know. You know, it depends how good a friend it is. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right, man. Well, thank you. Well, appreciate it. Yep. Appreciate the call and uh, best of luck.
Thanks, bud. You too. All right, let's jump into our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, man, this is Joseph down here in Florida. Can you hear me? Hey, how's it going, Joseph? Yeah, I got you good. All right. Uh, me and my cousin are heading down to do a late season uh, whitetail and hog hunt, so I'm kind of back in the six. So Perfect. Sorry for that last uh, kind of lack of signal. No, no, that's great. That's that's the best kind of call when you're on your way out hunting. So what's your uh, what's your hunting question? Yep. So like I said, we're down here from Florida, and we've always only ever you know, hunted and fished down here. Um, but over the past couple of years, you know, we've had – you know, I just want to to kind of like branch out and go out west. So this spring, actually in May, we're planning a trip out to Montana to try and get a black bear. And so been, you know, really going over all your content, some of the other guys' stuff online. I think really the most daunting thing for me, though, is trying to identify a unit to go to, like what makes up a good unit. So I was hoping that you'd give me any kind of tips um, for what to look for as far as picking a unit to kind of try and target to go after. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if you're kind of going cold turkey, right, and especially uh, when it comes to spring bear hunting, you've got an entire state. The eastern part of the state doesn't have as many bears as I would say like central to west. So like you drew a line right down the middle, the center around like that area headed west is probably a little bit better. There are areas with grizzly bears. There are areas that don't have as many grizzly bears. But I would say, you know, honestly, picking the unit isn't a particular indicator of success like whatever unit you kind of choose uh, has good bear hunting and it depends on what kind of country you want to hunt that's that's makes it the hard part right so you go well like hey i want to hunt those i'm going to hunt early i want to hunt high so you can go and find mountain ranges that have big open avalanche shoots big uh, scree slides and it's going to, there's going to be a lot of snow in there in May, but you know, you go, okay, I'm going to target these areas and I'm going to go up those big long canyons that have trailheads and no road access. But then you can say, no, I'd rather do more still hunting on roads, a uh, road system where I can find gated logging roads. And I'm going to look for that more timbered country. And, and that's definitely doable. And then another type is like, Hey man, I want to get some big vistas and some glassing stuff and maybe find those areas that have that more open. I mean, you can even find bears in that sage type country. So the thing is they are very spread out and it just kind of depends on the hunting style and tactic that you want. So what I would first do is I would maybe kind of research four or five different units. And I would say, okay, here's, I mean, you can almost pick them at random in, in many ways. You can say like, here's some places or here's an where I can fly into easy. Here's a place that maybe I'd like to check out, whatever. Pick a couple units around there and then start to dive into that unit. Do a little bit of research on that unit. Start to, to find out, okay, well, here's, here's the trailheads and access points. And this looks like some things that I've heard about as far as matching up the type of terrain and features and that kind of stuff. And then you can also, you know, you can, you can look in, you can find some of that past success and where some of the, you know, higher concentrations of success are. I, I, I've always kind of found like the Northwest region of Montana is very good bear country. It has the highest populations of bears, like, well, North and central, the whole like Swan, Sealy, all that area is good. But I mean, honestly, I'm like, I'm saying a spot and I don't want to throw concentrations of people there because 
there are good bear units pretty much wherever. It's not that one area is better than another. It's just where you're hunting. So where you're putting in the time where you've decided this is where I want to go. There's plenty of different kinds of country and different places you can go. I hope that makes sense, but it is, it is hard to narrow down. I think that when people pick a unit for bears, particularly, it doesn't really matter to be a hundred percent honest, in my opinion, as long as you're in a unit that has them. I got you. Well, that's perfect, man. Like I said, I appreciate, you know, that kind of advice. We'll definitely look into that. Um, it's good to know that I don't need to like narrow down like a perfect one because I've been trying and it's not been working. So I appreciate that. Um, and also, man, I appreciate you giving us this kind of forum, you know what I mean? For like, for your followers, you know, be able to call you and get like this killer advice. This is great. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you calling in. And like I say to you, the reason, I mean, to be a hundred percent honest, the reason that you can't find a particular unit to pinpoint for bears is because they're all hard. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Um, I mean, I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. They're all difficult. Um, like, and actually like where I actually hunt bears, I would, if I was to choose a better, I would choose a different unit than where I actually hunt them. But I have success where I hunt them because that's where I know if that makes a lot of sense. Like most right. of the people that hunt bears in Montana, like they live near the area or whatever. And people coming in, it's, it's probably just more of a convenience thing. Where do you want to go? You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that one area is better than another area. So I think that you can kind of just pick a unit and then where you want to spend your time is not on which unit, but where in whatever unit you choose. And that's going to be the key. So, okay. Awesome. man. well, thanks again, Remy. I appreciate it, bud. Yep. Have a good one and uh, happy new year. Thanks, bud. All right, we're going to jump to our next question here. Hey, Remy. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Hey, uh, uh, my name is Nate, and I'm a flatlander from Illinois. Uh, I've been following you since your first episode of Cutting the Distance. So, uh, to be honest, you're probably uh, the biggest reason why I've been successful two years in a row out west. So, I thank you for that. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear, man. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so I have a question for you about elk hunting. Uh, I've done a mule deer hunt uh, in South Dakota and a Colorado black bear hunt and had some good success, but I'm now wanting to dive into elk hunting. And I was wondering what your thoughts would be on like a, a first ever elk hunt. Would you prefer a late season rifle or would you go for a September archery? Oh, that is a really good question. You know, I first would sketch out what my goal was, right? Um, is it to harvest an elk? Is it to, you know, see elk? Is it to, I think that that's kind of like the first question you want to ask is like, what kind of experience do you want? I, uh, I personally love, uh, getting like, I would just love the meat personally. A great bull would be nice, but, uh, meat would definitely come first for me. Cause I can't get out West as often as, as some other people, you know, here's the way that I see the two seasons. I think it is way easier to find elk during archery season. I think it is often easier to kill elk during rifle season, but you see a lot fewer. So the struggle during archery season is getting close enough to kill one. The struggle during rifle season is finding one to kill, right? So, um, okay. <laughs> you got to weigh those two things. What I would do when I'm looking for my, uh, potential elk hunt Especially if you're like, hey, a I, I, bull or cow, it would be cool, either one. If that's if you're in that category, then I would definitely start looking for tags where you could shoot either or. Um, because, you okay. know, with, if you have the option for both, your, your chance of success is going to go way up. Fortunately, unfortunately, most of the tags that allow you to shoot a bull or a cow are during the archery season. But it's easier to find elk then. And then if you are like, hey, I'll, I want any elk, then you're going to have a lot of opportunity. 
Um, if that's what you're okay. looking for. Now, if you're like, hey, I just want to, I want a bull. I don't care about the size. I just want to have potential success uh, harvesting a bull. I believe for me personally, it's a lot easier to kill elk during archery season than maybe rifle season. But I have a lot of experience calling and interacting with elk, right? If you don't have yeah. that, then maybe the rifle hunt might be the better option because all you have to do is find an elk. And once you find the elk, you're probably going to have a lot better chance of getting close and taking it. And so, you know, for a lot of guys, I've talked to a lot of guys, and I think that that rifle hunt, that late season rifle hunt can be a really good hunt, but it can be difficult to find elk. And then that archery hunt can be a really good hunt, but it can be difficult to kill elk. So I think it just kind of depends on everybody individually. You know, if I was talking to someone, they're like, I only want to kill a, a, a nice bull, then I'd probably say go with the archery hunt. You'll see more bulls, so you have more opportunity to kill a nice bull. But if you just want to kill a bull, then I would say probably go with the rifle hunt because all you have to do is find a bull. The odds of you actually being successful killing it go up because you've got a rifle. So that's the way that I would look at it if it were me, just kind of thinking about it and spitballing a few different ideas. I know maybe it does help. Maybe it just makes you more confused, but <laughs> I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of direction. No, that definitely does help. I, I am... I personally look at myself as a bow hunter, so I was definitely leaning toward uh, September. But uh, and I was I was worried more about seeing elk because my Colorado uh, bear tag uh, we were able to fill it, but we were it was so hard to see elk where we were at because we were in so much oak brush. And I was just wondering how it would be in late season, but uh, I would definitely prefer a September tag. So that definitely does help, Remy. Yeah, I think that it sounds like based on what you said, I'd probably definitely go with that archery hunt. And the other thing is, too, is, you know, you can do the archery hunt. And if you think you got uh, an area that you can go back to the following year or a couple years later, what you learn during that archery hunt where you can find the elk, you might be able to translate a few good spots for later in the season. The best tags are ones where you can hunt early and late. You know, it's not always possible, but you're going to learn where the elk are and find them in cover. You're going to find them in different places that you won't find them later in the year. Not that they aren't there later in the year, but you just aren't making noise. So you're going to yeah. find sign for later in the year. You're going to find other things and you can put that in the back of your mind and say, Ooh, I'm going to check this out later and, and vice versa, man. You could be hunting late season and see elk rubs and wallows and other things. You go, okay, if I come back during archery season, this is where I'm going to check out. So you get a little bit of Intel while you're out there for whatever kind of hunt you decide to do in the future. Okay. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Thank you. Yep. Have a great one and best of luck. Let keep me posted. Hopefully the streak continues. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I will. All right. Have a good one. Okay, we're going to jump on here. we got a couple more callers we're going to get to. Hey, welcome to the Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, this is Ben uh, from Utah. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Yeah, doing great. What's your uh, What's your question? So, um, I'm a, this is my first year archery hunting. And I bought a bow about this time last year. And when I bought them, they're like, uh, keep it out of the wind, the snow, the rain. And um, hunting, it's, a, it's easier said than done. So I was wondering, like, do you have any, like, tips of, because I was in some big rainstorms this year, early spring uh, elk hunting, and my bow is just getting drenched. So, like, is it really going to hurt the bow or what can I do to keep it dry? 
Yeah, so here, here's my thought on that. Like, my bow is a tool for shooting an arrow, and whatever the elements are out there, it's going to endure them. <laughs> like, my bow has seen it all. I can, like, promise you it's been wet, it's been frozen, it's been scorched in the sun. And, you know, like, I think with the water thing, if the string's real wet, it's going to slow down the speed because the string's a little bit heavier. What I do, I always run uh, one of those little solo hunter uh, bow sling because it's got like a string cover. So I actually keep a string cover on my bow all the time. The sling like has it built in. And if you've seen any like the solo hunter shows that we I do or whatever, you'll see those all the time in it. I, I use any kind of bow string cover all the time just because I'm the only time that I've ever had a bow fail was because the string got cut accidentally, you know, like walking through stuff. So since I've used that, I've had no problems, but I've also found that it kind of keeps the water off the strings. Now, if it's like driving rain and whatever, it's just almost unpreventable. Like I would, your, your odds of like a wet, having a wet bow and being out hunting is better odds than having uh, a dry bow in a house somewhere. Right. So I don't even, I honestly don't even think twice about it, but I do use a string cover, which I, find helps for that kind of stuff. Now there are hunts where I've been and it's just like, you're, it's going to be saturated no matter what, but I do notice with the cover over it, it protects the strings from a lot of those kind of elements. Now the, the rest of the bow, it doesn't really matter. Do you have a multi-pin sight or a, like a slider? Sight? Yeah. Multi-pin slider. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The one thing about like wet weather is you just want to be careful when it gets wet, you're like sticker for I don't know what exact site you have, but a lot of times the sticker will get wet and it'll move. So yeah. I always run, okay. like I waterproof mine. So I'll like do like a dab of um, super glue on the top and bottom. And then I will uh, cut packing tape and then waterproof it with packing tape before I ever go hunting. Mm. And that has been a game changer doing that. So I'll, like, I'll, I'll cut the packing tape just right and then completely seal it with packing tape. That waterproofs that on there. Then it won't slide around. Then you don't have any problems. I've been on hunts where it's been wet the whole week and like buddies will have problems with their sight tape will come off or it, it moved and they didn't know it. Um, so you can always check those things, but by using that packing tape, man, it waterproofs it pretty well. I'm sure there's other things you could use to kind of like paint over it or whatever, but that just, it's super fast and works really well. You, there's probably other things you could do like a sight cover and other stuff like that, but I haven't ever messed with anything like that. So I would just say, you know, string cover, I really believe in, and then waterproofing your sight out sight tape outside of that should be solid. Sweet. Well, I have one more question, but that's okay if we got time. Yeah, go for it. So, um, I, since it was my first year, I had a deer and an elk tag, all archery. And, um, one problem I had plenty, I had more opportunities than I could ask for. And every time I like be at full, I'd range them. I was by myself, so I didn't have a buddy to, I'd range them, be at full draw and then they move. And when I let back down, that's when they busted me. So any tips on like, because I don't want to guess and, you know, get a bad shot on it. So it happened to me a few times this year. Yeah. I mean, I think a little bit of it is like, once you come to full draw, you almost got to commit to the full draw. Right. Um, so okay. if you decide to let down, 
not that you have to, but what if they've moved, like a couple of things that I will do is like I'll range the animal. You might want to range a couple of things that are around as well just to get an idea. So you'll set and then, you know, you're going to you're just going to pay attention to how they're moving. Like how far away did he move? There is a there is a portion of bow hunting that is range estimation and the better you get at it, the more success you're going to have. I attribute a lot of my success especially this year to range estimation. There's been I would say like I would I filled pretty much all my tags. Half of them I would not have filled without having like some kind of good range estimation. So, there's a couple of things you can do too. Uh one thing you might want to do is like figure out if you got a slider and you know, mixed pins. I mean, you can you can kind of do a little bit of range estimation based on how like the size of the animal within your site housing and other things, but that takes a lot of time. Something to think about is, you know, like if you're talking, where are they moving? Right. So it's like, if they've moved far enough where you don't know whether it's five yards, 10 yards or 20 yards further, then yeah, you're going to need to let down, but let down at a point where you can safely let down. If that makes sense. Right. They're moving okay, and you're yeah. going to have a shot. So you're just almost going to be like, well, if I let down, I'm going to spook him. So I need to let down when his head's behind something and then get a rearrange on it. Or, you know, so I, I guess that's like part of the game, right. Is like just yeah. timing things uh, just because he's moved. If you, if the animals move to a point where, <clears throat> and this has happened, I mean, I've rearranged many animals as well. Like there's not, I'm not saying I don't do that. So, um, but the ones that have worked out, I've always been like, all right, he's moved. I don't know how far he is and I'm uncomfortable shooting at this point. Um, I got to wait until it turns around. It's not aware it's whatever. Now, if I drew back, the animal jumped out to whatever range stopped and looked back, I'm not going to have, I probably wouldn't shoot anyways. So, and by letting down, you're just, you've missed your, opp your, your opportunity was already missed. If that makes sense. So just yeah. planning out, like being patient enough to know, Hey, I can let down. Cause I've done that so many times where it's like, okay, I, I, I stand up, the animal gets out of his bed. I'm ready. He's, his butt's facing me. He starts walking off drops. And I'm like, okay, I have no clue how far that is now. Okay. As soon as it gets behind something, I'll wait, 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 let down range. It's like, you just got to kind of essentially start that hunt process over of the range and draw again once they've moved. And that's, um, you know, but practice those. One thing I think that every bow hunter should do, and you're going to find a lot of success is I'll take my bow when I'm shooting like 3d in the backyard or however you shoot. Right. I'll go to, uh, a target that I know is say it's 30 yards and I'll shoot it with my 40 yard pin. I'll shoot it with my 50 yard pin. I'll, I'll just, I just want to know, like get, start out with like a big bale or a block and know how high you're like really understand the trajectory of your arrow because what's going to happen by really knowing that drop compensation when something moves closer when something moves further, your brain just builds out this repetitious pattern of like, okay, it's moved away. Now I need to aim here. Now I need to aim here. Now I need to aim here. My arrow is doing this through the air. Um, and just by really building that skill, it, it makes it easier for range estimation and like getting that. Okay. If I aim here, if I don't like there's places where I'll aim, my elk, for instance, this year, I didn't know how far it was. I knew it was like in that four, between 40 and 50 yards, but I knew exactly how far my arrow dropped between 40 and 50. So I split the distance, aimed at that point that whether it was high or low would have killed and let the arrow fly. And I got an, uh, I killed an elk, you know, because of it. And it was a perfect shot and the elk 
ran and tipped over. So just like having that practice and knowledge is goes a really long ways when you get into the field in those kind of situations. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. I'll definitely practice that getting the, um, the get a big bale outside and and see the drop distance. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Well, best of luck and uh, keep me posted on your success. I will absolutely. All right. Have a good one. All right. We're gonna jump into our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? This is Eric. Eric. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Yes. I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, oh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> oh, right on. I have four kids at home right now and trying to make sure they don't start screaming as soon as I start talking. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, quick question, and it might be just a personal preference. And if you ever get to do a video on like that strip thing that you were talking about with the previous caller, that'd be awesome to know. <laughs> um, that super glue and everything like that. But. That'd be awesome to see how you do it and stuff. But my question yeah, is, definitely. Um, with getting a new, I, I want to get a new bow site. Right now, I live close to uh, Spa Hog, and I like them. I like to keep business uh, kind of close to home and stuff like that. Um, yeah. My question is, is you know, I want to. I got right now like the seven deadly sins or seven deadly pens or whatever they call it, and it's just getting a yep. little bit close as my eyes get a little weaker and stuff and so i just want to make sure i know i'm doing my due diligence and you know better hunter you know and everything like that but um i'm looking at like the five pens with the the like the godfather or whatever they're called and um with the little dial thing that's yep. one question and it's personal preference probably i guess and or you tell me what your your opinion is or and then you got the Elongated uh, housings for the um, pen sites. What is yep. your preference on choosing the right one? Yeah. So for hunting, you're, I mean, like, so I I shot a lot of different. I actually shot that same site you had for a long time, the seven deadly pins, and then I switched to various like slider sites with three pins, five pins, multi. I mean, I've shot. I mean, there's well, most sites I've I've pretty much shot most sites out there. And I kind of settled on about four or five years ago, I settled on, and I, I never thought I'd like it, but I settled on the Fast Eddie XL because I liked that vertical, but it had two pins in it. Mm. I like the vertical alignment of the pins. And so I, I settled on that. For me personally, uh, when it comes to hunting, I, I've got the one that's on a, it's on a rail so I can slide it in and out. It's on a dovetail. I like that because I travel a lot. So I just like to be able to pull it off, pull it, put it back on without having to unbolt anything, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I actually yeah, run my sight close to my riser because I, I kind of, the way that I shoot, what happens is the further out you put it, it technically can be more accurate because you can put that pin exactly where you want it, the further out it is. But it's also perceived as is less steady. So if you're shooting like, tournament archery you want that site way out there because every little minuscule amount matters but when you're bow hunting yes your shot placement matters but i'm never want to focus on my pin really i want my pin to be in there and i'm focusing on where i'm hitting on that animal and so my setups for hunting and i like to run it as close as possible i would say i just started shooting the, like a kind of a combination of the two is like three the it's the i think it's a triple stack pin i just i've 
gone on one trip with it. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep that or go back to just the two pins because I've got the system down and I like it. Once I started shooting with the fewer pins though, like just that single pin and the slider, I was immediately more accurate and I was immediately just like more confident in those shots because I could see the way the animal was reacting. I could pick my spot better. There was just less going on. I really liked that. So that's why I shoot that particular site. Um, and everybody's a little bit different. I see the benefit of all different kinds of sites. That's just why I like that one in particular. And like to the last caller's point, Hey, if something moves, well, I've only got, I've got a single pin with another indicator. I know where both those shoot. I know how to hold low with it. I know my drops and I can shoot those real successful. The only downside I see to the just single or double pins is when you're shooting through brush, you can't use your upper higher pins to kind of gauge the, if you're going to hit a branch or something like that, but it takes a little bit more, more time and thought to, really plan that shot out but for the most part that's what i like the that's the site that i've been using and, and happy with and i'm sure there's other companies that make similar sites I, I might even try uh there's some other ones that i've seen out there i don't know this year i might just try a bunch of other sites because every few years i like to just try a bunch of different new stuff and see if there's something mm -hmm. better that i like like that's how i landed on the site that i'm on now is like i just tried something new and was like okay and it just clicked for me and so and everybody that I've kind of recommended to, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but once you get used to it, I think that the single or a single pin with maybe like a single double or a triple stack type thing uh, is beneficial. So I, I think that you couldn't lose with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, I guess. And yeah, I was just kind of nervous moving in that direction with the, you know, the vertical up post versus the horizontal and just, yeah, it does make yep. sense. Yeah, and I, I really awesome. like that that vertical post. So, hey, before you get off the line, congratulations. You're the winner of our prize package today. So you're going to get a uh, year membership to the Mountain Tough Fitness Labs, all their apps, their, their daily workouts. Man, it's a game changer for coming into the season. Also, some Wilderness Athlete Hydrate and Recover and a Yeti, new Yeti Yonder Bottle to mix up all your WA drink mix with. So... Um, I'll have you send me, uh, do you have Instagram? I do have Instagram. Yes. If you can send me a direct message, cause before this goes live, if you don't mind sending me a direct message right after this, I will get all your info and I'll ship that out to you today. Awesome. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Oh, and back, yeah. back to the, your contest that you had over Christmas break. Um, yeah, I started watching a lot more of your YouTube videos and stuff and more of your cooking stuff. Uh, when's the ring oh, yeah. book going to come out? Hey, that's a good question. I'm hoping by mid-year next year. We've got a lot. I've been working on it for the last couple of years. So um, all those videos were essentially like things that we were putting in it. We're like, we might as well make a video because we're yeah. make cooking it anyways. I didn't realize the time that it takes to do all that and then do all this and whatever. But I'm actually working on that pretty soon. So yeah, there'll be more cooking videos, more videos. I appreciate you checking all that stuff out. We're, that's kind of my goal going into the, you know, when it's like the end of the year, you always think about goal setting. And like, I've got a lot of videos that we've been putting together and I've got more time to get the edits done and other things. So um, there's going to be a lot more of that kind of stuff coming out and uh, appreciate, like, it's, it's awesome to hear from people that have been enjoying it. So thanks for that. Oh yeah. Sweet. Well, I'll, uh, I'll look for your message and uh, congratulations on that and best of luck. Thank you very much. Yep. Talk to you later. All right. We're going to take one last call here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? 
This is Kyle. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, really good. Nice. Hey, so I'm a hunter out here in eastern Washington, and i kind of trying to get my game plan going for this next year. And I'm curious. I've been seeing more and more uh, hunters like yourself talk more and more about hunting in uh, previously burned out wooded areas. And I was curious yep. uh, for your guys' planning for that. Do you typically go the following year, the year after, or is it pretty much just a... Uh, go and take a peek, see what it's look like, looking like as far as regrowth, and make a game plan from there. Yeah, that's a little bit of it. One thing that I kind of look for is I'll pull up some of those fire maps and see where it burned. Here's what I do first is I first go on like satellite imagery and see if like sometimes you get lucky and your area has been updated since the burn. Generally, that's not the case. So I'll throw on a, a fire map layer and I'll pinpoint those fringes of it because you know, there, there are places where I know, like, sometimes you won't know how the fire burned. It'll just show the whole area. So a lot of that is like, you got to get in there. And one of the things that I'm first pinpointing is the fringe habitat, especially on year one and two. What I want is I want those patches where it's been burned and then there's unburn inside the burn. The reason for this is because what's going to first transpire in that burn is you're going to get regrowth and what we'd call green up. So it's like what happens after the fire, it kills everything, but it also, everything that it kills implants a lot of nutrients back into the soil. And whenever a plant grows, the most nutritious part of the plant is that first regrowth. So in the spring, that's when animals are getting the most efficient browse is because it's it's regrowing so the burn allows for massive amounts of regrowth and what that regrowth does is it attracts animals but what it lacks is other parts of necessary habitat so what i'm looking for is good habitat on the fringes of this green regrowth because that regrowth is going to be their food supply and then everything else is going to be their habitat by mixing those two things together that's a real recipe for success especially early on i would say like some people think oh it burned last year it's no good that's not the case it can be good even the same year that it burns so that that's one thing but how you utilize and where you're looking is going to be different now a burn is optimized five to seven years later because it's creating habitat, but also has continual regrowth because it's allowed to get sun and water and the trees aren't blocking it out. And it's good for hunting because you can glass into it. And a lot of times there's standing timber that's been burned and animals think they're hiding and they're actually visible. So if you're talking five to seven years later, um, you're going to start to see more benefits. And then about seven years afterwards, you really start to see, you know, the benefits from that initial regrowth, higher populations and other things. So you can kind of hunt a burn all the way through for however long as it starts to get way later, like 20 years down the road, it starts to get choked out by this new forest regrowth and actually starts to decline in productivity. But yeah, there's no how soon after, but what I'm doing is if it's really soon after the burn, you're going to want to look for those like pockets and where it's got habitat, but you're using that burn area as the air quotes um, food plot, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I know I'm a farmer too, so we used to be able to burn our grass uh, waterways and everything, and all that regrowth really brought the deer and other you know, life back out there to feed on it. So that makes sense that they'd be you know, going up into the mountaintops now and really feeding from yep. there. So. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. 
Yeah, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. And uh, keep me posted on your success. I will. You, you as well. All right. Have a good one. Catch you, you later. Too. Bye. All right. Well, that concludes our Live Wild Live. Thank you so much, everybody that called in. If I didn't get to your calls, keep an eye out. We try to do these the end of every month. So it's, it's, it's always generally the first podcast of the month. So thank you guys so much. If I didn't get to your calls, better luck next time. Thanks for all the questions. As always, you know, if you got other questions, feel free to reach out social media. Sometimes I'll just see a bunch of questions over something and that kind of dictates the topics that I gravitate towards, whether it's planning and prepping and, or it's maybe glassing techniques or other things. So the more I, I hear from you guys, the better I can make this podcast about the things you want to listen to and try to hit all the, the stuff to help make you more successful for whatever you're hunting or where you're hunting. I just want to say a special thanks to our, our giveaway, pro, like the companies that gave away prizes this week. I just appreciate that a lot. It's a lot of fun to be able to give stuff away. I didn't, I know I just did that big 12 days of Christmas giveaway, but we're still doing giveaways through our email list as well as pay attention. I've got something really cool coming up in the next month or so, uh, a giveaway of a kind that I've never done before. And we'll just allude to it like that. Thanks again, Mountain Tough, Wilderness Athlete, Yeti, for that prize pack today. Also, as a, as a just a thank you for the end of the year. I know when we think about, we, I did that podcast last week with Dustin about just building those healthy habits. And some of the time when you get into this new year, it's a really good time to reset, to really focus on these goals that you have for the year coming up and just getting both physically, mentally ready for the hunting season. Uh, Wilderness Athlete, uh, thank you guys so much. They gave us a code for the listeners today. You just use Remy WA and it'll be 25% off your first order. That's just uh, items that are not on sale. So if you're interested in any of their products, it's a great time to look at what they've got as we start to think about getting better fitness. Also, I want to re remind you, we talked about it last week, but Mountain Tough, you can use the code LIVEWILD. You can get a six weeks free trial. So that's a little over a month of just figuring out their program. Now's a great time to do that. And remember, everyone that uses that code, I guess it'll be next month or the end of next month, beginning of February. What I'll do is I'm going to compile everybody that's used that code. And then we're going to do like a invite only. I've done one before and it was really awesome. It, I did it with uh, when we launched outdoor class. So I'd like to do one of these again. It's going to be pretty much geared toward hunt prep. So if you like this podcast, you like the Q&A style, it'll just be like an e-meeting. Everyone will be on there. We just go back and forth. I'll have some prizes and some other things. So for everyone that participates and does that code, you'll get an invite to that. Cause I like to be able to, everybody that's really like those of you that are saying like, I really want to get in better shape for the hunting season. I want to do this. I want to do that. I know you guys are the serious ones. And so it's fun for me to be able to kind of sit down and, and, and really have this kind of discussion and answer more questions and, and really help you be more successful. So it's a lot of fun for me to do those things. So that's just a way that I can do it and limit the amount of people in there and, and just make it a good experience for everyone. So I hope you guys appreciate that. And then I mentioned outdoor class, but thank you guys for, um, if you guys want more hunting tips and tactics and want to see these things play out outdoor class, I, I've partnered with them. You've 
if you've seen it, I've got my mule deer course on there. I'm working on my second course right now, which will be out uh, this year. So they're constantly adding classes in there. You can get 25% off your outdoor class membership. Just use code LIVEWILD. Uh, these are things that I just try to work out for the listeners of this podcast because I appreciate you guys listening in and helping support what we're doing here. So thank you guys so much. As always, feel free to drop a comment, rating, whatever you want on the podcast. Until next week, get out there, live wild. That's just a sign off of sign offs. All right, I'll catch you guys later. (laughs) 